That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. All right, well, welcome everybody. Here we are recording uh, from our respective locations in Waco and New York. Jake, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm uh, kind of, um, you know, we're off in the future now, but uh, I'm still recovering from the Easter uh, Easter uh, festivities. So. Yeah, and those of you who can't see the beautiful sight, which I now behold, is Jake's <laughs> unshaven face. He looks sort of a cross between Indiana Jones and uh, George Michael in his five o'clock shadow faith <laughs> phase, looking oh, very good. good. I love that. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Got to have faith, a faith, a faith. Uh. What right, you so just what you talk- just heard, ladies and gentlemen, is a, a, is the definition of imputation. Um, <laughs> speaking something that's not actually there, and uh, that is a beauty. <laughs> so anyway, thank you, Aaron. Um, yeah, how are you're you? Welcome. Doing all right. Uh, you know, as as you and I were chatting, we both really love Easter. In some ways, it's the most exhausting and tiring uh, part of our 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 church year uh, with so many services. Uh, somebody told me it's sort of like. Um, you know, doing repertoire, like repertory theater when you're kind of doing all these different plays night after night, <laughs> but different ones. And so you got to go from the lows of Maundy Thursday and Good Friday all the way to the heights of Easter Sunday in a very short time. And and each play has a different cast. And so mm. but but it was wonderful uh, here at St. Albans. Uh, the gospel was preached. Uh, the the copier did not explode. Uh, nobody got the stomach flu <laughs> and, uh, and, and it was a wonderful time. I mean, just so much joy. People had a great time. So I'm still feeling wonderful yeah. about the, all, all of that, all those events. And I know you are too, cause, uh, Calvary St. George's, um, just is killing it in New York. Go to, go to Calvary St. George's if you live in New York, people. <clears throat> Thank you. And, uh, if you're in yeah. uh, Waco, Texas, visit St. Albans. And, uh, but, uh, here we are and we are on the third Sunday of Easter and, um, this is a very powerful Sunday. Um, typically, it's all about the um, eyes of our faith being opened. This is one of the great themes, the eyes of our faith being opened. And we see how Jesus does that. And the colic lets us know how he does that as well. You know, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's right. Open. I just wanted to get that off my chest, Jake. Thank well, um, he has, and uh, and he and he does that through uh, means, and it's not a it's not an electric guitar. It is through um, uh, it is through uh, his word, a drum machine, oh. and the breaking of the bread. And so, and uh, we see this happening throughout all of our readings today. Uh, and today's reading, actually, the opening one is Acts chapter nine, one through six, and seven through twenty. And really, in Easter season, we walk through the book of Acts in part to see the ramifications of the resurrection and the ramifications of the Holy Spirit as a result, opening the eyes of people's uh, faith. Yeah, and I got to say, one of the great things about our tradition, Jake, uh, this is sort of like a subtle continuing plug for for the Episcopal and Anglican way. Um, 
these colics always emphasize God's action in generating faith in people. Mm-hmm. There's so many Christians that feel like faith is something which they have to manufacture, uh, that they have to gin up their faith and uh, all that sort of stuff. And this, as this colic says, we ask God to open the eyes of our faith. Um, there's there's uh, the colic which we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, where we ask we, we call God the one without we can't do anything that pleases you without you God. This mm. is the continuing idea of the the one way action of God as over and against what you so often hear in churches, which is the cooperation. We cooperate with God, we partner with God, um, which sounds really nice, but what it ends up being in practice is um, you have to do everything. Uh, your your spiritual health, your vitality, all depends on on you getting it done, and that's exhausting for people. W- won't you, wouldn't you agree, Jake? I would agree, and this is the perfect segue into our reading from cha- Acts chapter nine. Um, what we see here is um, nobody getting their act together, but rather right. God busting in and kicking us right, literally off our high horse. And um, and so and we see um, the story of Acts chapter nine, the story of Saul, and this really represents the beginning of a pivot in the book of Acts. Acts follows a theme of beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then moving forward to the ends of the earth. And so, beginning in this point, you begin to see Saint Peter and Saint Paul overlap briefly in the story, and it's going to begin to move about uh, Saint Paul's missionary journeys, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. But today's reading is about his conversion, and uh, which yep. is a very, very powerful story as he has just finished stoning uh, the, the martyr Stephen, the great deacon, uh, the Greek deacon who told everybody basically um, about how they, um, the Jews, how they had missed the boat and, uh, and uh, that Jesus, and he saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And so, um, and the man who held everyone's jackets as they were uh, stoning Stephen was a man by Saul of Tarsus. And uh, he has just gotten, uh, he had just gotten official paperwork to go and persecute the way Christians in Damascus. And uh, when he is struck down and uh, by the Lord, he says, it says he heard, he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he asked, who are you, Lord? And then uh, the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up yep. and enter the city and you will be told what to do. Yeah, so I think the the thing for people to get here is we're in the season of Easter, the 50 days of Easter. We had the 40 days in Lent. Now we're in the great 50 days of Easter. So in our tradition, it's a whole season, not just one day. And the question is, what does it look like? What does the Christian life look like after the resurrection? And I think it's such a great mercy of the lectionary that it shows us these stories of how God works after the resurrection and it, we might think, well, post-resurrection, the defeat of sin and death, everybody's perfect now. And uh, we might get that um, sort of that typical sort of, con- you know, test that Christian testimony narrative. Like, I was lost and now I'm found. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And so Christians should be perfect. Um, and they miss that fact that God is still the same God who, even after the resurrection, has to work with dead people and raise them to new life, has to work with sinners and pardon them. And so here we have God choosing who he's going to be the who's going to be the main representative for this message to the Gentiles could have picked any of the disciples could have picked any of the folks that were with Jesus from the beginning uh and yet he picks it's sort of like this I always feel like Jake this is like a practical joke the Lord picks the worst possible and most surprising person Mm. ever the guy who's uh 
arresting Christians and and uh, and sort of like good riddance. Yeah, sometimes you hear I have some some people in my um, extended family who have rather extreme political views. Uh, although these days they're not that extreme um, mm-hmm. in that they want uh, members of the of opposite political beliefs to sort of just disappear, sort of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Avengers uh, get the glove and, and make them all go away. And David Brooks had an article in the New York Times in March saying, uh, recent, quoting a recent study that said, Democrats and Republicans, there's like 20% of both party that wishes the uh, they, the opposing party would just all die. Yeah. The world would be better off if they weren't there. And um, so a lot of people wish their enemies would die. And uh, Paul here is somebody who would be very happy you know, so think about your uncle that wishes all the people that don't agree with him would die. That's what Paul is. He wants all the Christians to die. That's right. And Jesus, Jesus picks him. He could have chosen anybody. And he picks Paul, not after he's repented, not after he's come to his senses, not after he's seen the light and been to the crusade and gone forward and, and wept big Jimmy Swagger tears. Yeah. He picks him while he has the arrest warrants for the Christians and he's Breathing out murderous threats. So this always, uh, gosh, I, this is the passage. I'm going to continue my rant for just one more second. Yeah, man. Uh, I remember hearing a sermon in Advent where the preacher said, you know, we have to prepare the way of the Lord. We have to make our life ready for God to show up. We have to kind of, I don't know, put the house in order, uh, clean out the gutters, whatever, so that God can do his work in our life. And I'm like, uh, what about St. Paul? What about how God actually chooses to work in the scripture, which is he calls Matthew, who's not ready. He's in the tax collector's booth. He calls Peter while he's fishing. You know, he he just he calls Zacchaeus while he's still a, you know, this chief tax collector up in the tree. He doesn't ever call people who are just ready and waiting. Mary, uh, who's obviously not a big sinner, at least as we see here. Um but she's not expecting anything. She's she just was probably tough, to... though. She is a teenage girl. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Avril so, Levine. That's what yeah. I imagine. <laughs> so absolutely. You know, John Calvin, he's got a great quote about this. John Calvin. But anyway, um, what? he says, yeah, he says, John Calvin, when commenting on this passage, says that what God does and uh, using St. Paul as an example is that he takes wolves, he turns them into sheep, and then he turns them into a shepherd. And uh, this yeah. is really, um, really what God does and how he works with all of us is uh, we are all wolves and he makes us his sheep and then um, calls us to be shepherds as well. And uh, this really moves into the paragraph with Ananias. I mean, and uh, I, I kind of imagine like Ananias, like shocked, the shocked parishioner. What do you mean we're praying for President Donald Trump in the prayers of the people? What do you mean we're praying for the enemies of Sri Lanka? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. This is, you know. Um, this is a this is a shocking word when the Lord appears to Ananias and says, "Oh, by the way, that guy that was going to kill all of you, I, he's my chosen vessel." Like, what are you talking yeah. about, yeah. Lord? That's I right. Mean, this is and a I- very powerful thing that God now. Ananias kind of illustrates kind of the Christian response to God healing and saving our enemies. Yeah, I had a. A person at my church, we added the into the prayers of the people this past Easter Sunday, prayers for the victims in the bombings in Sri Lanka. And I said to this person, we also need to add prayers for the perpetrators. And this person was shocked that we would do that and wondered why we would pray for these horrible people. And I said, well, Jesus did say pray for our enemies. There's a lot of people. So, you know, folks out there, if you're listening to this, if there are people who you don't um, agree with, uh, if you're a Christian person, who thinks uh, Donald Trump is the best president we've ever had, and um, you don't love Democrats, if you don't love AOC, uh, you're not connecting the dots. And if you're a Democrat, uh, 
who thinks Donald Trump is the worst president we ever had, and you don't feel like you want to pray for him, you're not connecting the dots. Jesus said, love your enemies. And that's hard. And probably nobody out here actually loves their enemies. Uh, we all fail at it. We all feel really good about hating the people we disagree with. But just look at the story about St. Paul, that God chooses him and tells Ananias to go and help him. Um, this is what Christianity looks like. We don't like loving our enemies, but thank God Jesus loves his enemies because that means Jesus loves us. Uh, and I, I just want to say one little thing about here you could mention. Uh, also, this pattern of Paul who gets called by Jesus while he's still in a sin. There's no prior repentance. But Paul's experience is three days he's without sight and neither ate nor drank. This is Paul's death. This is mm -hmm. this is Saul dying here. And the, the Christian journey, I think, is often, it, it, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, we we have to go through a period of death and rebirth. And so this is what it looks like for, for Paul. This is the pattern, not Christianity as a path to glory, but Christianity right. where, the, where the old us dies um, and, uh, and is raised to, to new life. So this is the Absolutely. pattern over and over again, even post-Easter. So just, you know, I think I would remind my people, we still need a resurrection. We still need a God who raises the dead. So, and I think, it, yeah, and, and then you have this very powerful conversion where the scales fell from his eyes um, mm -hmm. and his sight was restored. And then he got up and was baptized. So he has been buried now with Christ and has been risen mm -hmm. and filled with the Holy Spirit. And now he takes some food and begins to regain his strength. The point here is that the old is gone. Behold, the new and uh, his new message is no longer murderous threats. Um, to mm. the people of God, but now his mer his his message is in the synagogues. He is the Son of God, and this yeah. is this is um, this is the converted life. But I think the overarching um, the overarching theme in the Christian life is that of suffering. I must show him how much he must suffer. That never changes. The message and who you are does, but the overarching theme is um, is uh, is uh, suffering. Yeah. And I think there, there's something very powerful in this story as well. I think there's so many people in the congregation that will have had experiences where they felt like they were dying, that their mm. whole life up until this point, which they thought was one thing, is actually they were wrong. Um, it was and back to David Brooks. He's got this new book out called The Second Mountain, which is about the first mountain in our life is us building our 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 career and pursuing success, climbing this mountain of achievement and ego. And he says, and then everybody crashes and burns. And the second mountain of your life is sort of learning to die uh, as opposed mm. to trying to be on this path of glory. And and I think um, this is what happens to St. Paul. I remember when we were in seminary. It's either it's either hear, it's either dying or uh, paying your bills. So but anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah, either one. That's right. The, the, so the Paul Zoll, when he was the dean of the seminary that we attended, he said he described this passage in a way I had never heard it described. He said Paul had a nervous breakdown. And I remember thinking, what? I never heard that in any mm. of my churches where I've listened to sermons. But you think about it. I mean, a nervous breakdown is, you know, don't use this term so like, um, don't be precise as sort of a clinical use of that term. Don't don't get hung up on that. But a nervous breakdown where you realize your whole life was sort of a sham. And everything you thought was true isn't true anymore. Like he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was on God's team, doing the right stuff, um, pursuing the uh, the Christians. Yeah. And but realizing everything he thought about the scriptures, everything he thought about Jesus was wrong. Everything he thought about God was wrong. Uh, when God shows up, when you when you're teaching Sunday school, thinking you're doing all the right thing, and Jesus comes to your class and says you're wrong, that's a pretty 
that's a big thing in, in that old Cracker song, uh, Going the Distance, bowel-shaking uh, um, quakes of doubt and remorse. That's sort of what's going on here. Wow. That's amazing. Um, yeah, what do you, you have to what do you have to say about Revelation chapter five? <laughs> uh, I say it's Revelation, not Revelations. This Praise is the main Lord. point of this podcast is to teach people correct pronunciation of the yeah. word Revelation in the Bible. Yeah. There's no S on there, people. I know. Um, and I think now we can all go home. But if we had to say something about it, um, uh, I think we should just tell people to read the Left Behind series. Isn't that right, Jake? No, that's the last place you want to take people to. (laughs) So, um, you know, the point of the book of Revelation is that it is not to be read with the New York Times in the left hand and stay away from. I mean, Revelation has been used as a tool just to terrify and scare people for uh, generations, especially in the in these in these last days. Um, It has been used, you know, just mishandled completely. Um, Yeah, people uh, thought it was about in the 1700s or the 1600s. People thought that it was about something that was happening then in geopolitical events, just like people in the 80s thought yeah. Roche or Reich meant Russia. And it's just, uh, yeah, so don't do that. So what do you do, Jake? So, well, this this particular this particular passage, and, and you know, and Revelation really shouldn't, I mean, this is Jake's opinion, uh, shouldn't be read on, um, like, kind of in a linear way with, the like, the seals and the bowls and the trumpets all being opened in a linear way. What you're doing is, is, is um, is uh is Saint John is giving us a vision of um of of these last days which begins in uh with Jesus's ascension into heaven at the right hand of the Father. And so uh chapters 1 through 5 really kind of function almost in many ways as the prologue before uh all of these uh great events happen. And so in before earlier in chapter 5 the verses 1 through 10 there is this basically this kind of tremendous question of who is worthy to open up the seals and the bowls and the trumpet. Who's worthy to do this, you know? And and nobody is found worthy until the lamb who was slain steps up to the plate. So kind yeah. of, you know, and one of the big themes working throughout the book of Revelation is the Passover theme. And so, you know, the symbol of of the great triumph of heaven is the Lamb of God, which uh, you know uh, ties into Exodus, which ties into Jesus, and so and so. Finally, this one has been uh, appointed worthy to stand, and he says, "And I looked up, and I heard the voices of many angels surrounding the throne, and the living creatures and the elders. They numbered myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, singing with a full voice, worthy is because finally here is." Here is the shoot that has come out of the stump of Jesse. You know, worthy is the lamb that was slaughtered to receive power. So this really becomes a great hymn uh, for uh, the one who is going to uh, who is going to rule and judge justly, as we will begin to read in the next chapter. So this is a profound description of the one who takes his enemies. Um, who meets us, as you said earlier in the previous reading, in our breakdowns. He's the yeah. one. And uh, and blessing and honor and glory might forever. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. He's the one. This is the picture of the one who meets us in our failures. This is the one who turns uh, wolves into sheep. And this is the one who yeah. t- turns deniers into apostles. Yeah. And I think, again, the central image of who is our Lord, it's a lamb who is slain. I mean, a lamb is bad yeah. enough. <laughs> You know, who wants to be a lamb for Halloween? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. Um, it's not cool to be a lamb, but, uh, you know, there's no Marvel superheroes that are lamb man. Uh, but not, not, meh, 
but not only is it bad enough to be lamb, it's a dead lamb. It's a yeah. lamb that was killed. But that's mm. where that's who gets power, wealth, wisdom, and might. This is the, as you like to say, the flip flop gospel. It's what we see with Saint Paul getting called. Here's the one who's who is uh, killing Christians. He's the one that gets called, uh, and he he's invited to enter into into the death of Christ and to then be the the, yeah. the messenger of that of that gospel. So it's the same kind of idea. Christianity is consistent. And the powerful thing idea. here that going on is is that John actually hears. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea. I mean, this is like um, everything that's powerful and everything that you could possibly imagine. This is the Leviathan. This is, you know, this is uh, bears and lions. And this is like everything that's powerful and uh, singing, um, you know, to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb blessings and honor. Yeah. So everything that is powerful in this world from the creepy crawlies to the Leviathan are singing the praises um, of this lamb. Yeah, I, there's something here too. We just were recording this the day after Earth Day and um, mm. uh, there is something wonderful here about a kind of a right doctrine of creation from a Christian perspective. Yes. Um, we do care about creation. We don't think of it as something sort of this disposable footnote. Um, and there are parts of the church that really don't have a good understanding of creation. I was talking to somebody recently about how one of the things um, uh, that the Bible teaches us is this respect and love for the creation, not in and of itself, but as God's creation, and that it also has a role in praising praising God. And, and you see that here. And so there's, there, you know, Christians don't have to fear the creation. There's often this, it's sort of like us, the holy ones, the frozen chosen, separate and over and against from the creation. And, uh, and that's just not, that's just not it at all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, this, this being right around Earth Day, I think, you know, you see two extremes kind of emerging in our culture and in the church when it comes to kind of the earth. There is one side, unfortunately, that is just like, yeah, let's bring back coal and everything like, you know what I mean? And uh, to heck with it, it's all gone. And that is to deny our mandate as image bearers of God and that to be stewards of his creation. You know what I mean? I mean, as the representatives, yeah. we are called to care for it. However, there is the other side as well that you see we're almost um, and what's going on right down the street from me right now. There's like this huge, like basically pagan earth festival where, you know, I mean, um, uh, like uh, like. I mean, almost where, I mean, a baby eagle egg is worth more than a baby, you know what I mean? A human baby. Yeah. And like, you know, it's so, it's like, we're, we are not subject to the creation. We're stewards of the creation. And uh, those two things need to be held together and what that means. And so we don't worship the earth, but we care for it and we're called to steward it. And so, yeah. um, and that is part of our vocation. But the most important part of our vocation is to feed Jesus' sheep. And so what do we see mm. here going on in John chapter 21? Uh, you loaded up so nicely, just <laughs> nice and easy over the plate, Jake. So John 21, uh, by the way, uh, listeners, if you're a preacher or a hearer of preachers, you will be hearing a lot of John. So year C in the lectionary, which is what we're in now, is mostly the Gospel of Luke. But in this Easter season, we get... Um, a lot of John readings. That's sort of all we get in the, for the gospel. And it bounces around. So it's not chronological. This is a place where if you are, a, uh, if you're a better Christian than Jake or me, you might want to go home and read the gospel of John cover to cover to get a sense of 
Uh, and it would take you, you know, uh, less than an afternoon to do it. But it would give you a sense of what is going on um, because it's it's going to be out of sequence. Anyways, John 21 is going, it's after the resurrection. It's this scene where Jesus meets the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which is the same thing as the Sea of Galilee, which is, the you know, the, the, the height or the location of Jesus's early ministry. It's where he's from. And what's incredible is has this um, powerful interaction between Jesus and the disciples who are proselytizing, doing nope. beach evangelism, nope. uh, already writing down the Gospels. Nope. With an extra side of nope sauce, as my kid's uh, Exploding <laughs> Kittens card game says. It, uh, no, they've gone back to fishing. They've gone back to the to the old ways, which is incredible. You might this... think pre-resurrection they would have done that, but no, this is they've already seen him. If you read J- John 20, they've mm-hmm. already seen Jesus. They've already seen Thomas have the thing where he puts his hand in the in the wounds, all that sort of stuff. Um, all, so all these people have now gone back home and are now fishing again. This is this is really brings the I mean this this is the earthiness of the gospel and uh, the truth of I mean the powerful truth of the testimony that John is writing here for us uh, as a witness and that is that you're absolutely right these guys if this had been made up these guys would have been right out on the street evangelizing right but they're not they still they don't understand what the hell has happened I mean they're terrified you know this guy that they all betrayed has risen from the dead and we saw him and I don't know quite what to make of it so. I'm afraid of everybody in Jerusalem. I'm going fishing. I'm yep. going back to what I know. And that tends to be the instinct, especially of a new convert. You know what I mean? Because this whole thing is weird. And uh, I mean, we believe in a, a a lamb that was slain. And it's it's so weird. We're giving glory to a lamb that was slain. It doesn't make sense at first. And so you see the earthiness and the naturalness of this. They go back to their old job, fishing. Yep. And so this is, uh, I think, a nice bookend to the Paul reading. So with in the, mm. in the book of Acts, so the story of Saul, his conversion, um, and he becomes St. Paul. So God picks a, uh, an enemy of the gospel to be the chief messenger of the gospel. So if you are a sinner, if you um, are, have been opposed to God and godliness in your life, you are, you are perfect for the Lord. And uh, here again in John's gospel, we have Peter who denied Jesus three times. Um, he at the, at the moment where Jesus needed Peter more than ever, when and Peter had promised to be there for his Lord no matter what, he denied him three times. And so here we have Jesus beautifully reinstating Peter. So first he gives him this miracle. Again, they don't even um, really realize who it is. Um, and, and this ties back to their first calling to the apostles. Right. They were fishing, yep. kind of sucks, and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then they caught nothing. And then he's like, "Hey, man, you got any fish?" Yeah. And they're like, "What? Wait, what?" Yeah. And they pull it in, and this huge catch comes in. And I love the flip flop sense of Peter. I mean, this is just another earthiness thing of it. He's totally naked out there, naked, he's wet. You know, h- however they were fishing. I fished naked before, but anyway. <laughs> He puts his clothes on and then he jumps into the water. Yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? He's completely shocked. And uh, and uh, there they are. And this is an important thing, too. There's a fire going on and Jesus is eating because the gospel writers want you to know that this is no ghost. This is a resurrected. I mean, this encounter is another emphasis that you're dealing with a resurrected man. Yeah. So I think another thing you could talk about here is that there's so much emphasis, and we've talked about this before. You need to have enough faith for God to work in your life. 
How much faith the disciples have when they're in the boat? They don't even recognize Zilch. that it's Jesus, and it works. You know, um, so there's that here. Peter is this huge, and then they approach. They approach him as we would think that we should approach God. You know what I mean? This whole idea of like, oh, but if you don't have enough faith, you better watch out because you're there on the beach, and there he is chilling. Come have breakfast with me. And now none of the disciples dared to ask him, "Who are you?" Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, they're they're terrified of this man who is their risen Lord and one who comes to them as a friend. Yeah. I think the other thing that's beautiful is Peter, the fact that he jumps, like he can't even wait because he he's yeah. so desperate for forgiveness or maybe he's desperate to say, I'm sorry um, for what he did. Like he realizes what's going on and he just, he, he can't get to Jesus fast enough. So it's just, you know, again, we think we, I think he's there trying to get ahead of the story. He's there <laughs> yeah. like all of us, you know what I mean? Oh gosh, there he is. I got to clear the It's air. the prodigal like, son, like, you know, running to his dad, yeah. preparing the story, um, something who knows, or, or maybe he wants Jesus to not let the disciples know how badly Peter failed him, uh, on Maundy Thursday or something like that. But it's yeah. it's a very evocative and we, image, and he catches a ton of fish, a huge amount of fish, um, and they they have they breakfast have, with and Jesus. And then they have breakfast. And then there's this post And then brunch. just like all things in life, yeah, all things in life, you never talk about anything important until the very end. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know, you know, they're like, how are you doing? How are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> and then at the very end, this is where, and I find this all that happens all the time in pastoral encounters. You know, we'll all just be just be BSing until the very end when it's like, okay, here's why I've come to talk to you. Yeah. And uh, this is what this is what's happening. It's that when they finished breakfast, yep. like all human encounters, the important things about to take place at the end. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's different Greek here for the verb to love, um, agape and phileo and all this sort of stuff. Do you love me? I love you. And Peter. You know, Jesus says, do you agape me? And he says, I phileo you. And anyways, there's a lot of Greek. Um, unless you are preaching to a seminary audience, I encourage you not to yeah. go into those weeds just because it, you'll lose a lot of your people. I mean, those are significant things, and I do care about those things, but it's just hard to do that in a sermon in a in a way that does it justice and the people, I think, can get it. Um, I think the point here is that Jesus takes Peter, who has failed spectacularly, not only denying him, but then and also going back to his old job uh, and puts him in charge of the ministry uh, and says, yeah. tend my sheep, feed my sheep. So just like, as you said, John Calvin, John Calvin says about, uh, takes Paul, takes him from being a wolf, makes him a sheep, and then makes him a shepherd. Here, Jesus is taking a failed sheep um, and making him a shepherd. Um, it's not because yeah. of Peter's great skill or ability or whatever. Um, he's still reckless. He's still, he doesn't quite get it. And he says, but you know, I'm putting you in charge. Um, and it's this very touching mm. scene when I was, in, when I was in, when I, on my one trip to Israel, I think Jake, you've been like 15, 16 times, but on my one trip to Israel, Just... <laughs> when, uh, I was at the, there's a, there's a church right along the shore of the Sea of Galilee right supposedly where this stuff happened it's right. a church dedicated mm -hmm. to peter and his reinstatement and all that sort of stuff and um i went out to that uh shore and i picked up a little rock because i wanted to have a stone from the beach where peter had failed and been put back into ministry because i feel i mean who who in ministry has not failed and so this was important to me and, and but everybody in your congregation has has failed at following jesus and yet jesus is not done with them mm. 
That's amazing. The other final thing I think uh, that you can talk about and what this means for the congregation is that ultimately, you know, we had a great we had a great conversation about love and uh, things like that. But the love of Jesus precedes everything. Mm. And uh, and the love of Jesus creates love within us. And that that powerful love precedes everything. Yeah, Um, it is the that enabling one way love becomes the enabling word for us to say, I truly do love you and uh, the ability to actually then go and feed my sheep. And um, I'd just like to wrap up this uh, to this um, same old song with um, just how supposedly Peter died. It's a very powerful, powerful story. And uh, it's, um, you know, it's written in kind of um, the, the legends of St. Peter. But the story is, is that during the Neroshan persecutions um, were pretty brutal. Nero like would literally use Christians as uh, lampstands and fed them to animals. And um, Peter got the heck out of Dodge and was running. And on his way out of out of Rome, he encounters this uh, man with wounds in his hands and wounds in his feet that he sees. And he he immediately knows. And he says, Lord, where are you going? And uh, Jesus says to feed my sheep. And uh, it's at that moment, uh, St. Peter turns around and goes back with his Lord where he is eventually arrested and crucified upside down. And uh, this is um, uh, the powerful thing is that love precedes everything and that love like Ananias enables us to care for those whom we hate. And uh, love ultimately becomes the word that enables us to feed the sheep and lay our lives down like our Lord did. Yeah. And so that's uh, the gist of it. And, you know, Jesus, as at the end of this passage in John 20, refers to this. When you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. So it's Jesus saying, I know that even at the end of your life, you're not going to want to follow me even then. Um, so there's no sin that surprises Jesus in your life. So, But he still mm. puts people into ministry. So there's wonderful graciousness in that. Like, I know you're still going to be Peter and you're still going to mess up, and but I still love you yeah. just like he loves everybody. And I still love you, Aaron. Oh, Jake, mutual. We'll see each other this week in New York for the Mockingbird Conference. When people listen to this, that will be in the past. Uh, but we'll be recording some live podcasts in New York, so you'll get those dropped in your uh, podcast sub- subscription soon. Yeah. If you like what we're doing, we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people, and we appreciate so much hearing that. We love that uh, what we're doing helps you, whoever you are. Um, and if you want to leave a review in iTunes again, that will... Um, uh, you know, it, help us. It'll help us. An angel will get their wings because that's how God works. Um, and that's all we want to say about that, right, Jake? <laughs> it's theologically sound. Amen. Absolutely. All right. Well, bless we'll you soon. all. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Peace. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know, we crucified him, buried him. But three days later, well, the stone got rolled away. And yes, Thanks for listening to Same Old Song, and we hope you found some nuggets that will be helpful either in your preaching or just in your life. If you liked what you heard, we would love it if you could leave a rating or review on iTunes. Dave's all will be sad if you don't. We'd like to thank the Narrativo Group for audio production. Keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.